What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Pamela and Jack met at a credit union where she was working. She was a loan officer, he was a counselor, and the face of the Vietnam combat vet in Humboldt County. Throughout their over three decades together, they often joked about the fact that she had seen his tax returns and two letters of recommendation before agreeing to go out with him. Jack was a hero, she said, and as a woman who dealt with her own traumas, they just fit. She found his intelligence, not the math and science type, but verbal smarts, irresistible. That and his honesty. He could be selfish, but he never lied to her. She struggled to answer when I asked her what she thought drew him to her, but she landed at this. She needed him. She was very pretty then, and still is, in my opinion. She's gentle, nurturing, and the proverbial good-hearted woman. Jack needed to be in control of every detail of his life in order to feel safe, she told me, and she was okay with that. They bonded through their intellect, their shared love of adventure, and their general zest for life. They lived in foreign lands, backpacked through Asia for months at a time, and enjoyed thousands of scuba dives together. And like all couples, they met challenges. You'll hear about some of them today the kind of complexities that can arise in our sex and intimate lives when our bodies change and no one prepared us for those changes, even a little. I think we can all learn from this story, regardless of our age, stage of life, gender, or relationship status. I'm excited to share it with you. Afterward, if you're inspired to take pleasure into your own hands or you want to bring more playfulness and connection into your stay-at-home life, Hop over to thepleasurechest.com to check out some of their most powerful toys, such as the WeVibe Melt, which stimulates around the clit with pulsating waves and gentle suction, sort of like oral sex, and can be used with a partner for mutual fun. You can also order the Crave Vesper, a beautiful, fully functioning vibrator necklace. I wear mine all the time. Stick around to the end of the episode for thoughts from Dr. Megan Fleming for a listener who's curious how often to schedule sex now that his wife's libido is higher than his. Let's dive in, starting with a bit about Pamela in her own words. Um, Well, I guess let's start with my age. I'm 69. Um, I uh, have was married for about 30 years and uh, traveled all around the world with my husband. Uh, who was uh, a combat vet with post-traumatic stress disorder. The way he dealt with his post-traumatic stress was every five years we moved. Um, That worked really well. Uh, In in that same kind of time frame, uh, um, I was writing, I I have eight published books, none of which really have anything to do with the topic we're going to be talking about today. Um, But but I was writing. Um, He, about the time that I went through menopause uh, is when he became ill Uh, so so now currently I am 69 
uh, and uh, uh, my husband died about it, he died on the 27th of October of um, this year. Uh, so so a fairly recent widow, but he his illness was so prolonged and he he, w- he was not able to live in the home for the last about almost two years of his life. So so I've actually been alone in dealing with that uh, for, for closer to about two and a half years. Their path has been unique, but Pamela and Jack are not alone in that changed dynamic. Most people either need in-depth care or become a caregiver at some point. And according to the National Alliance for Caregiving, those who work 21 hours or more per week are four times more likely to be caring for a spouse or partner. When the person you're taking care of lives with residual effects of trauma, the road can become especially rocky. As Pamela knows well, she knew they would face difficulties throughout their lives and marriage, but this was more than she had imagined. At one point, I remember there was an interview with Chris Christopherson right after uh, June Carter Cash's death, and, and, and he said, uh, June Carter Cash's most biggest contribution was that she kept Johnny Cash alive. And and at the moment, I, at, when he said that, I love Chris Christopherson, but I remember thinking, well, that's just rude. The Carter family is this huge musical family, um, but but I get it. I, I understand what he was saying. And, and that's kind of how I felt. For 30 years, my job was to keep Jack to keep my husband alive and well and as happy as I could make him, given uh, the trauma that he was dealing with. But nonetheless, I no, I we did not expect. Um, he he ended up uh, due to exposure to Agent Orange. He uh, died of a uh, something called uh, progressive supranuclear palsy, which is a, an especially fast-moving and horrid form of Parkinson's. So, so no, I, I did not expect, I, I, I always expected no matter what came up, he and I would be partners and we would deal with it together. Instead, Pamela eventually became more of a caregiver than a wife. And leading up to that, she was dealing with changes in her own body so many people experience, which would greatly impact her sexuality and her marriage. All of that was a stark change from how they began. Around age 40, when she first met Jack, she said, sex seemed just really easy, like this. I mean, everything works. Um, it, it's fun. It's, it can be very spontaneous. And, and, and most importantly, for me at any rate, uh, it, it's a way of cementing the relationship. It's a way of, of building the intimacy. Um, and, and I think that uh, for me, that was one of the most difficult things that when, so, so when I went through menopause, Jack was already beginning to show symptoms of this neurological illness. But of course, we did not know that. We, we didn't know that that's what was happening. Pamela was just entering menopause and dealing with symptoms like hot flashes when her mother was diagnosed with estrogen-triggered breast cancer. Because of that, the oncologist told her and her sister they couldn't use any type of estrogen, that it would be too dangerous given their own breast cancer risk. So, so we had a very interesting time in my family where we had uh, my sister, my mother, and me, all of us went through menopause at the same time. 
and we took and I have no idea what we were thinking of what we weren't. Uh, but we took trip together to Canada during that time. <laughs> so it was a very, very interesting uh, trip. Um, I guess we thought it was cold. It would help with the hot flashes. I don't know what we were thinking. Um, my 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 mother's husband was the only man on that trip, and I don't know how the poor man survived. I had a period where the the biggest concern with menopause was was hot flashes and and kind of mood swings and almost like a panic attack kind of feeling. But that went away over time. With within two or three years, that had all gone, and I thought, well, this is good. I'm kind of settling into the to the good part. No more cramps every month. You know, no more. This is all good. But at about that time is when um, intercourse became really, very painful. Um, and, and it wasn't it wasn't sudden. It was, you know, OK, it's a little painful. Um, I didn't. I just assumed, OK, we need we need lubricant now. I've come to the age where we're going to we need lubricant. Um, and that did help for a time. But the fact is, without estrogen, the vagina itself changes. And and, and so what happened is that we had this where for 25 years or, or 22 years, whatever in there, um, sex had been something that was kind of a way that no matter how difficult the day or the week or whatever had been, we could kind of come together. And And suddenly I was, you know, backing away in pain. And and there and that quickly escalated to, I, I really was not interested in in, in um, intercourse. It took four or five years, Pamela said, for the pain to go from mild discomfort to an inability to have intercourse at all. Any attempt left the area bloody and raw by the end. The medical term for what she was experiencing is vaginal atrophy, a common condition that's often preventable or treatable, especially if you address it early. Staying sexually active, and yes, masturbation counts, and using a quality lubricant consistently can really help. A little side note PSA, if you have sex ever, you should probably have lube on your nightstand. Sadly, vaginal atrophy often goes untreated. It's chalked up to normal aging because people haven't learned otherwise, or it's downplayed, even by some doctors many of whom learn very little about sexuality beyond things like STIs. How can we do better if we don't know better? If we had known what was happening, or if I had known so that I could have shared with my husband, I feel like, I mean, we weren't, you know, children. There are other ways to have sex. We we could have simply said, oh, it's sad that that won't be an option for us anymore. But but look, there's lots of other things that we can do that, that will continue the intimacy. But because we really didn't know, he took it as a personal rejection. That I guess that's what I'm trying to say. And that changed the dynamic then. A marriage where, you know, for a, a great many years that was a way for me to kind of comfort and nurture him, that was not possible anymore. Communicating about these issues can bring a whole additional layer of complexities. When one partner has a sexual pain condition, it's part of the entire sexual relationship. You're in it together, yet it's not uncommon to feel pretty far apart. 
I think that it was, we did try to talk about it. You should know that he was a psychologist. I mean, we were both educated people that should have known how to had communication skills. But nonetheless, it's a, people, you take, both of you take it personally. I take it personally that he's insisting on intercourse, which is causing me pain. He takes it personally that this person who was very welcoming, you know, of him, of him into my body am suddenly, you know, vehemently pushing him away and saying no. Um, so, yes, we did, of course, over time, we, we switched to other types of sex. We, we just switched to oral sex, you know, essentially. Um, and that was okay, but I don't, and I don't think this is that unusual either. Um, I, I was better at bringing him to satisfaction than he was at bringing me to satisfaction. Those weren't the only challenges they were experiencing. Jack had physical limitations, a bad neck, back, and knee, all of which can make sex and certain positions uncomfortable. And without better understanding around all of this, given wonky societal messaging, lack of sex ed, and more, it was pretty easy for Pamela to take matters personally. I began to question myself. You know, as it's hard to sort those emotions out. Pain is not nice. You you scurry away from that. And you scurry away from the person who is is causing that pain. Over the years that followed, Jack's illness became a much higher priority. Sex wasn't possible for him either, and the couple had other concerns to watch out for, like him not falling or choking. At some point, Pamela went to see her gynecologist for a routine checkup. During that appointment, she asked Pamela a question that would set her on a path of self-discovery and send her mind, initially, reeling. She said, do you uh, think that at some point you will want to resume sex? So now, at that point, we have about an, a no estrogen at all for about 12 years and about a seven or eight year period of abstinence, abstinence from uh, vaginal intercourse. So, um, and this is the part that I really did not know and was completely unprepared for. Her vagina had changed so much that the gynecologist had trouble inserting even the smallest speculum. If Pamela wanted to have vaginal intercourse again, she would have to go on estrogen, starting with the smallest possible dose. Then she'd need to use dilator dildos, starting with one that's smaller than a pencil, inserting them until the vaginal muscles relaxed three or four times a week, working her way up in size. Understandably, Pamela had mixed feelings about that. So, first of all, I honest to God don't know if it's important enough for me to have vaginal intercourse to go through that, um, and secondly, it doesn't work unless I would be willing to take the estrogen. And I asked the gynecologist point blank, um, you know, I said, my mother's oncologist said, no estrogen of any kind, not given the kind of family history of breast cancer that I have. And she, and she said, every oncologist will tell you the same thing. 
so she her view the gynecologist view was look we, we you can come up with something where you kind of weigh the risk with the benefit and and decide you might decide a person might decide all right the lowest dose possible estrogen and um, over time working with the dilator dildos and maybe you will be able to have I would be able to have vaginal sex again but um, I am not willing every female in my family has had breast cancer I am not willing to use estrogen so that and since then I have talked to several other women friends my age who are kind of going through the same thing. No one ever told us that without estrogen and with, with abstinence, that essentially the vagina will atrophy. Hear that again. No one ever told Pamela or her friends that a lack of estrogen paired with abstinence causes the vagina to atrophy. How many times have you heard that someone with a penis has to have sex for health reasons or that guys need to masturbate? How many Viagra commercials have you seen on TV? If you have a vulva, your sexual health and your pleasure matter just as much. These are quality of life issues, health issues, important issues. I wouldn't be surprised if this is the first time you even heard of vaginal atrophy Pamela said she might have a different opinion about her options if she were involved with someone who really prioritized intercourse, and that all of this makes getting back out there in the dating pool feel complicated. Thankfully, Pamela has embraced other means of girl boner bliss on her own. The, the way it has always worked for me is that um, uh, masturbation has always been about clitoral stimulation. And, and so that works fine. So for me, that's that's a that's kind of a no-brainer. So yes, of course, the 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 uh, clitoral masturbation works absolutely great, uh, and and there's even lubrication. I mean, I, I I every all of that works fine, but the vagina does not. And men my age have their own baggage physically, and I mean they they're dealing with their own physical stuff. Uh, and so, yes, I, I would hope that maybe it might be possible that down the road I would uh, be able to be with somebody who would be, uh, and, and I think at any age, but especially at my age, just the physical touch and the closeness is really at least as important as the actual orgasm. As far as who that person might be, Pamela said she knows one thing for sure— It'll be someone respectful who practices consent, which she considers especially important while navigating sexual function issues. That sounds like a really wonderful kind of person to me. Also wonderful is the person Pamela has been evolving into through this journey. I asked her how all of this has impacted her sexuality. Um, I think that I'm really coming to like who I am sexually now I, I i think of it as um kind of crone power and i think that the crone is an incredibly powerful invigorating uh rejuvenating uh figure 
Uh, and I mean, she's like kind of the wise woman goddess. So, so physically, and it's taken a very long time. I mean, things change so, so gradually. And, and, you know, I mean, the, the boobs aren't so perky anymore. And, and the, the, the waist doesn't look like, doesn't matter what you weigh. The body's not going to look the same at 69 as it did, you know, even at 50. Um, but, but I'm okay with that. And, and, I'm, and I'm especially okay with that for myself. Now, now the big question is, in the culture that we have, you know, what are, whether or not I ever find somebody who is also um, delighted with who I am <laughs> right now, because I, I have no real interest in, in being with somebody who isn't delighted with me. I love the certainty and strength in her words, so crone-esque. The word crone means the elder holy one, someone who holds the power of age and time, retribution and transformation. I think we can all benefit from embracing that archetype, either as our own now or one to deeply admire and aspire to. A study conducted at the College of St. Catherine showed that when women resonate with or activate crone archetypal images, so photos that honor older women, they're much more likely to cultivate a positive sense of self and a purpose that can benefit society and integrate them into the culture as they age. When Pamela reached out to me, offering to share her story, she mentioned that doing so didn't feel easy. This isn't a topic she's spoken about publicly before, certainly not for thousands of listeners, yet she felt compelled to do so now. When I found out uh, that essentially I could no longer have vaginal intercourse, I I think there's a period of grief. And and because I come from a generation where uh, women, we've talked to I'm pretty open about being able to talk to other women. And so it was amazing to me how most women said, that's not possible. That's not true. And I was like, yes, that is, that's the case. And then I I talked to a couple of friends who are kind of going through the same thing. Both of them are a little younger than I am. Uh, and so they're they're not quite at the point that I am physically, but but they're having the same symptoms and the same problems within the relationship, and the same kinds of even doctors who are who say to them, oh well, you just need better lubricant. So if you if the woman doesn't understand what's going on with her body, there is no possible way that she can explain, can accept it, first of all, and secondly, explain it to anybody else. So yes, it, this, is, this, is a, it, it's, this is a private subject matter for me, and, and it's not easy to, um, to, whatever, go public with it. But women need to know this. This is a really important part, and we, people live to be, you know, 100 years old now. I have a lot of good years left, and, and, and there's lots of women out there who have a lot to offer, and I, I think they need this information. Can you please join me in a virtual round of applause for Pamela? I love what she shared there, and I'm so grateful that she opted to speak from a vulnerable place with hopes that others will hear about her experience and find their own way to healing sooner or even prevent pain and struggle to begin with. She wanted to leave you all with this piece of advice. You know, 
I would talk to my gynecologist, but the other thing is, is I, I would talk to a sex therapist. Those seem to be the people who really do understand and, and have some real positive suggestions on how to deal with things. Absolutely, I would not just accept it, say nothing, and push onward. That's probably the worst thing that we can do. When I followed up with Pamela after our interview, she told me what she appreciates most in her life now is the freedom to reinvent herself, or more accurately, reacquaint herself with the parts of herself that were necessarily neglected during the years she cared for Jack as his health declined. She continues to embrace her inner crone, imagining herself living in the woods, investigating her powers, and allowing herself to travel darker paths of knowing— with the crone's hand in hers, to emerge in this whole new world. Pamela also noted that crones are highly sexual and have zero regard for cultural norms that so many women and femmes feel restrained by. Many, many cheers for that one. She's going back to college to earn a master's in psychology this fall with the goal of specializing in geriatric psychology, with an emphasis not on the limits of aging, but on the Jungian concept of wisdom and freedom of aging. Learn more about Pamela Foster and her work on her blog, pamelafosterspeakerwriter.wordpress.com, or click the link in the show notes. You can find her novels and her essay collection, My Life with a Wounded Warrior, on Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. This week's listener question comes from Tim, who wrote this. My wife and I have been married for coming up 25 years. We have an empty nest, so to speak, with our two children out of the house, and both of us are semi-retired. My wife's interest in sex has increased the past several years, while mine has lowered, quite the opposite from us from early on. We mentioned this to our therapist, who has helped us communicate about this, and recommended your podcast. My question is, how often should we schedule sex? Tim, thank you for this question. I'm so touched that your therapist recommended Girl Boater. And I think it's awesome that you and your wife have been working with someone who's helping you better communicate about these issues. That's so much of it. It's just huge. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Tim, I love your question on so many levels. And first, I want to say that it's important that you recognize you're not the only couple. It's not uncommon that at some point in a marriage, the person who had initially been identified as sort of the high libido partner is suddenly not the higher libido partner. And I just want to let you know and anybody listening how normal that is, because I think so many times we sort of think is it that it's like a fixed trait. Um, and so you know, it's often not uncommon because of lifestyle factors, um, like children leaving. Um, and in this case, your wife, maybe not feeling that level of responsibility and maybe feeling more relaxation. You know, there's probably many factors that are contributing to how and why right now she's experiencing an increased interest in sex and the intimacy and connection with you, as well as for you, why that, um, you know, I don't know if it's stress or um, just you know, aging and being retired and, you know, having the opportunity to slow life down, all the different factors that may be contributing to your own, at this moment in time, decreased sexual interest. But that importantly, you both are sort of committed to keeping that spark alive in your marriage. And so that's where the scheduling sex comes in. And so specifically to answer your question, how often should we? 
it's kind of like how often should we have sex, much less schedule sex. There's no one right answer, no gold standard. It honestly is what works for you as a couple. And that being said, and I speak to this often, you know, your wife now has what we refer to more is sort of spontaneous desire. She's just in her body. She's interested in sex. She's sort of starting already uh, a warm engine ready to go versus right now for you, we refer to this often as responsive desire. Like it's not really on your radar. Like you're not really sort of in the mood or, you know, sort of the one, you know, initiating. And so the role of scheduling sex is you're scheduling time to create the conditions where those more through responsive desire arousal may occur. And by that, I mean, it's when you schedule the time, because if you don't, if you're like most couples, it's just not going to happen that you have the window of opportunity to see and ask yourselves in that moment, what would feel good? What might be one small thing I could say yes to? And it's really in that place of openness, curiosity, receptivity, willingness, um, that you both can sort of create the conditions to see, you know, erotically what can emerge from that place and what feels good in that moment. And this is the key about responsive desire, which is you're not starting with a sense of a, when your wife might initiate an internal yes, but it's, can you create the space and time that you both, by scheduling it, you're conserving the energy, you're getting yourself in the mood, you're, you know, creating an optimal opportunity for you both in that moment to decide what feels good to you both, what feels light, playful, connecting, um, And really then it's working with the body because responsive desire is all about through the body and the touch and what feels good that then leads to the next thing that you might be able to say yes to. And it just sort of builds from there. It's important that you don't have expectations because I don't know and you don't know how it's going to go and you can't command arousal, as I often say, any more than you command to be sleepy. But that when you start to think about what's one small thing I can say yes to, in the body what feels good it's a reflex. It feels good. And therefore, it, it opens up the bigger and next yeses that you can say yes to. And it's through the body and what feels good that therefore kicks in the desire and ultimately creates more windows of opportunity for sexual and intimate experiences. So again, importantly, it's not about a number. It's about what feels good to you both and from an intentional perspective, how often would you ideally like to be having sex and how many windows of time might you want to carve out that you're spending an hour or two, which is your sexy time, right? Nothing needs to happen, but you are slowing life down to have that sexy time to then in that moment, figure out what feels good to you both. So as always, can't wait to hear how it goes. Please do follow up. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. I love what she said about staying open and curious and asking yourselves how often you would like to have sex. There really is no ideal amount for any individual or couple at any time. And I'm really confident that you're going to find a rhythm that works well for you both. And it's something you can revisit and change anytime you want. If your wife would like more sex in between, solo play is, of course, a wonderful option, and you can always connect intimately in other ways when you aren't having sex, whether that's through soulful conversations or massages, cuddling, romantic meals. As Dr. Megan said, setting aside time for intimacy is so helpful and can go so far. If you are enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please do hit subscribe if you haven't and leave a rating and review. I hope you'll also share this episode with friends or loved ones. You never know who might need to hear Pamela's powerful story and messages. 
Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.